Hey everybody, it is Richard Harris and Scott Lease back with you with season four, episode four. Scott, I'm going to make you a co-host on this one um, simply because the last episode we just recorded, my internet went out for who knows fucking. I appreciate that. After four years, I have finally made it to co-host status. Well, I don't know what the fuck I've been doing for the last three years if I'm not a co-host. Yeah, so... um, with, with that being said, a uh, quick shout out to HubSpot for uh, putting us on the uh, recommended sales podcast network or the HubSpot. Well, I can't remember what it's called, but um, thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. It's a big award. A big yeah. award. <laughs> yeah. And we were also named the number two sales podcast to listen to. So that's kind of cool. Um, again, we appreciate that from HubSpot. Uh, our guest here, we've already got a couple of questions lined up, even though um, we don't really have stuff lined up. So uh, JC Pollard, JC, you want to give people a, a context of what you're up to, where you're calling from, what you do, blah, blah, blah. So they understand as we have this conversation, uh, where your perspective is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a, a mid-market account executive over at gong.io. I've been there for close to two and a half years now, which is kind of crazy to say out loud, but started as an SDR, got promoted into a closing role about a year and a half ago, and I've been doing that ever since, but just stoked to be here, man. Side of the chat. JC, I don't know if you know this, Richard, but JC is suddenly like the man of the hour on LinkedIn. There's like seven posts about him per day <laughs> talking about how he closed $1.1 million of business all through Outbound. And he's like some white unicorn with a purple mohawk. Are you aware of this? <laughs> I think I read something about it, but um, I actually haven't been on LinkedIn the last couple of days. Of time. Yeah, he, he made the mistake or the genius stroke of telling the world that he did this. And now everybody's chiming in. So tell everybody this story, JC, let's start right there as this is your 15 minutes of fame right now. Man. Um, yeah. I, I started posting on LinkedIn a while ago because I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm learning some things that are helping me a lot and it kind of be a disservice not to share some of these. And so I kind of started this trend of just being really transparent about my performance on LinkedIn I just wrapped up my first full year of selling, uh, fiscal year 2022, closed 190% of quota, like $1.4 million and almost 1.2 million of that was self-sourced. And so how many deals was that? How many deals was that? Oh, I don't know. Actually, that's a good question. Uh, North of, north of 40 for sure. Um, That's why I'm asking because I think people think, oh, he probably just closed this one big deal all year long. It's like, no, he fucking didn't. No, yeah. I mean, I'm in commercial. So our average deal size is like $35,000. Not to say that there weren't some some bigger deals mixed in there, but um, but yeah, I just started posting about my performance and then some of the tactics that helped me create that amount of pipeline and and close it. And that led to partnering with pclub.io and Chris Orlob and doing like a free course. And now, other people are posting my stuff and it's been a whirlwind in the past, like 48 hours. I've, I've just been everywhere. On I mean, I've called you. Dude, is that how he ended up on the pod? Is that how he ended up on the podcast or did we know him before his 15 minutes of fame? This no, is, I question. outbounded you, Scott. I outbounded, he outbounded you, us. Like, Everything yes. is outbound. The guy lives all outbound. What he preaches. <laughs> Well done. Yeah. Well done. So, What is the reason that you wanted to come on our show? Is it specifically because you knew we wouldn't make you fill out a four-page form <laughs> to prep for the show? No, but massive shout out. I've done a few podcasts now, and I appreciate the fact that I didn't have to like tell my, my life story in, in the form of a novel in order to get on the pod. 
Um, Are you the reason I reached out filling that shit out, JC? Maybe once I you, you guys don't realize you guys don't have clout. I don't have clout yet. So you, have have more you, clout you have more clout than we do. <laughs> and, and, and more more importantly, if someone's asking you to be on their podcast, you have all the clout and they have none. Like you have all the power. Like it's a total dynamic. It's a total mind shift. Um, you know, I think there was a quote I read I used yesterday today, and it's like when we change the way we view things the things we view change. Mm. And I was like, that was really, I really just stuck with me last night. And I think that's what this is. Is like, yeah, you do say, look, I don't have time for this, man. I'm a million dollar closer. Go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> you could leave out the go fuck yourself, but. You know. No, I want to include it. That's a huge part of, uh, yeah. I, I think one of the reasons that like I'm starting to get some traction on LinkedIn is I'm, I'm pretty unapologetically myself and pretty authentic and you just asked the question, like, why did I want to go on your podcast? And that's why I listen to a ton of sales podcasts because I'm, I'm a nerd about this shit. And like, I want to get really good at it. And you guys are like real and you swear and you have human conversations and they're not like very, you know, stale makeup covered podcasts. So that's the reason I was uh, attracted to it. And that's the reason I'm a, a regular listener. I so appreciate that. Keep, Thank you. I appreciate that. From, from a tactical perspective now. Yeah. How does... How do you get to 190% last year when 70 plus percent of sellers, sellers missed their uh, targets and all this kind of stuff? Is it hustle? Is it skill? Is it beautiful product market fit? What is it? So tactically, there are a few things before diving into the tactics. I think the number one thing that allowed me to be successful was like an abundance mindset. And despite economic headwinds, despite all the obstacles we have, I just had this unwavering belief that there's like a lot of business to be closed and that you can be the one to close it. That's like step one. I think a lot of people kind of count themselves out before even trying just because they let obstacles get so in their head and kind of What does that mean though? Abundance mindset. I like that phrase. I've never heard it. What does that mean to you? For an example, you get your new book of accounts and you're looking through it and you're researching these. Like one mindset is like, oh my God, I don't have that many good accounts. The economy's tough. Nobody's buying. Companies are doing layoffs. Like that's a scarcity mentality where you're, you're kind of already counting yourself out. An abundance mindset is like, man, there's a ton of business in here that I can close. Like one way or another, there's, there's a ton of opportunity in front of me. And so I, I literally think the first thing that allowed me to be successful was just having that confidence, that conviction that I can succeed in this market and in the economy, no matter what. And then tactically, there are a bunch of things that I think I got better at over the course of the year that allowed me to stand out. The first one is just being really customer centric in my discovery and my demos. I think that discovery has become like a really hot button issue where people like hound on the importance of discovery. And that sometimes leads to literally the worst buyer experience ever, where it feels like an interrogation for the entirety of a first call. Okay. So let's pause there for a second. So how do I make this part customer centric to use your words? You hire Richard not, Harris. Of course, we know the answer. And not <laughs> make it feel like you're on the witness stand. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously things you need to learn over the course of a deal cycle about a company like discovery is, is super important, but if that turns into you just firing off questions in a way that leads the buyer to feel like they spent 30 minutes and got no value out of the meeting, you're never going to hear from them again. So the first thing I always try to do going to call 
is I want to make sure that the person I'm talking to has a positive experience and a good enough, they get enough value that they want to meet again. Like that is priority number one. So if I'm diving into discovery and I, I sense hesitation or I'm clearly losing their interest in something, like I, I need to pivot on the spot and do something in that call to make sure they want to meet with me again. Like that's like my, my, my mindset going into a call. No matter what, they have to want to meet with me again. I trust myself later in the sales cycle to learn all the information that I need. But if I never get them back on a call, like what the hell is the point of the 30 discovery questions I just rattle off? But we've got abundance mindset. We've got customer centric kind of discovery. What else tactically you think gave you such a, a better performance and a, and a you know, huge lift compared to what so many are, are doing? There's two other things tactically that I would point to. And I think the reason they're, they're easy for me to like pull out of all the other tactics is because there are things that I did poorly at first. And then I got better at and saw a really big uptick in my performance. So the, the third tactic is um, demoing in a way that's not like a click path or a tutorial. It's storytelling through the lens of your service. Oh man, I think there's nothing worse than like a demo that feels like a 3 a.m. infomercial. A demo is a demo. It's not product training. Like, I don't go test drive a car and try to figure out how to fucking program the radio. While I'm doing <laughs> like that's the best analogy I can give. And as soon as I say it, people laugh like the two of you. Um, but then they're like, yeah, that's actually the problem. Okay, so you wised up on that part. I don't know what the light bulb moment was but you wised up on that part what's the fourth yeah. thing the fourth thing was the biggest shift i had i, I saw this one statistic it said 99 percent of top performers don't care about being liked i don't know if that's true or not but it clicked for me hmm. and that led to me getting over my fear of asking Repeat the hard it, questions. say it again say it again jc just some people 99 percent of top performers don't care about being liked prior to seeing that stat i think the only thing i cared about in my sales cycle was being liked Totally. Agree. And what that led to was me losing my fear of asking the hard questions, like de-risking deals, getting a true sense of where I am in that deal cycle, pushing back on my prospects, challenging people. And so that was, that was the biggest tactical shift for me. It was like to stop. I, I stopped being so scared of asking hard questions. I remember like avoiding asking about if they're looking at the competition because I didn't want to hear the answer. I wanted to shut my laptop and fall asleep thinking that we're the only person they're talking to and they're right. But once I shifted towards like proactively seeking risk in my deals and getting ahead of it early, my win rate just skyrocketed and I started seeing a lot more success. Yeah. I want to, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit because I like to show how smart I am too. Um, which is the first thing JC said was shifting it from, I, I describe it as there's no such thing as a buyer's journey. There's only a buyer's experience. The buyer's journey only exists because marketing created a sales journey. There's only a sales journey. You land on the website, you don't fill out the form. Guess what? It's a bad experience, not a bad journey. They went somewhere else. So that's the first thing. Then I love what you said too of like, our job is not to qualify people. Our job is to help reduce the risk they feel in making a decision. And you can only do that by asking some of those questions around competition and stuff. So I just, I really wanted to reiterate it because it's near and dear to my heart, but I want to make sure people just really heard it in the back of the room. Um, but, but thank you for sharing it. Was anything else, anything else that was tactically different? 
I think there are a lot of things, but I, I would say those are the ones that are important too. And those are the ones with the biggest like before and after. How do you, you know, you know, and again, I think I know the answer, but I want to know maybe I assume, you know, you work at Gong, you probably listen to a lot of your own calls. Is that fair to assume? Mine and, and colleagues, yeah, 100%. So what are you listening for when, because it's hard to listen to ourselves and coach ourselves, right? Like it feels awkward, it feels weird. So what are you listening for? So maybe that'll help some other people kind of figure that piece out too. Yeah, I'm actually listening to my prospect more than me when I go back and listen to calls. And I think when you're in the moment, you miss a lot of things. But when you're watching it retroactively, I'm thinking like, wow, what, what should I have asked there when they said that? Or when they had that reaction, like there's clearly some hesitation. What should I have done to suss that out? So I'm honestly paying less attention to like what I said in that call and more so thinking, what should I have done? And then kind of comparing the two, like to what I actually did. So the way I typically re- review calls is, is once again, customer centric. Like, what did they say? What was their reaction? What would have been the best way to respond? And then I'll listen to what I actually said, which is usually a bit different from what the best option would have been. Cool. Thank you. I, I'm glad. I hope people listen to that um, and, and understand how to how to re-listen to you to those calls, not listen to yourself. Um, I'm going to ask a really weird question because it came up on the last podcast we just finished, um, which is particularly if you're closing 40 plus deals, million dollars, are you an inbox zero guy? Like how many emails are in your inbox regularly? Right now, I have 12,782. Oh my God. I don't know how people exist in this type of world. That we gives me say so four. much anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, are you in, what is your intention with those 12,000 emails? Well, uh, I don't have one, and a lot of it's spam, and I'm just... Okay, so here, this is a very important question. Why don't you just select those ones and hit the delete button? <laughs> Well, I think this points to like a broader question, which is what's my opportunity to up-level my game further? And then it'd be organization. <laughs> there you go. There, by the way, abundance mindset in action. There's an abundance yep. mindset in action. <laughs> well, what's, interesting, though, what's interesting though is our last guest we asked this question to told us that they had 40,000 emails in their inbox or so, but they were all very organized. <laughs> and they were serious. They were serious. I said, there's no way that you can have organized 40,000 of anything. And they, and they disagreed. It was an abundance abundance of emails. That's JC text me or call me offline. Anybody can, and I will gladly teach people how to do mass deletes. There's usually a little thing called unsubscribe, which actually does work. And yeah, I know people use it on my prospecting emails. It's really fucking frustrating. (laughs) 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 JC's got jokes. JC got jokes, zero Richard. People, JC, those are your inbox zero people. So, uh, I, I have an interesting question that I don't think we've ever dove into uh, too deep from an AE's perspective. Mm. I recently talked about um, how to be an effective kind of referral partner, affiliate, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of people were interested from a company perspective. I got all these DMs that were like, hey, w- We'd love for you to, you know, send people to us. We'll pay you 20% or whatever. That seems obvious that they would do that. I got a lot of people from like, you know, the community or the creator kind of space who were like, 
yo, how do you, how do you do that? I want to learn how to do that. I want to do that too. Interestingly enough, absent from all these messages was somebody in your shoes reaching out to me saying, Hey, how do I utilize somebody like you who I know is an affiliate and partner for my company? How do I use somebody like you so I can build more pipeline? I can close more deals. So my question is why? And what should somebody do? What are some of the things somebody can do to improve their own performance through this kind of channel for lack of a better phrase? Yeah, I'll be honest. I think the reason I've never utilized that is like, it feels like a, and ask without any kind of return on it. Like, I don't know what you would get out of me asking you to help me break into accounts, but it's- Well, I get paid. I get paid. I'll I'll answer for you. I get paid. So I don't don't know if you're aware, but um, I drove nearly a million dollars of business to your employer in 2022. So I get paid when those things close, as would anybody else who's gone through the, you know, kind of process of like, becoming a referral partner or whatever. So that's yeah. your answer to that question. What does somebody get out of it? Well, theoretically they get paid. They also get goodwill of helping somebody. Mm-hmm. Two different parties, potentially you, the person who's asking and the second party being somebody that I'm trying to help. So long as I believe in the tool and whatnot. Why is you it? Just opened up a, I, I, I honestly hadn't even thought about it and I don't even think people I didn't realize that that's an avenue that we can address. And you just opened yourself up to a can of worms. The second this podcast ends, I'm going to, to LinkedIn sales now. As you should. Spotlight, spotlight search for everyone that follows yeah. you across my well, business. Like as you, as, you, as you should. It's mutually beneficial relationship potentially, right? Yeah. You know, candidly, I don't think that um, employees are that aware of who their employer has deals with. Right. And that's so probably the Abundance mindset, problem. area of opportunity. Yeah. Reps can ask that question. Managers can ask the question. VPs can ask the question, right? I think that should be like a better published thing that we should have a in our in our like enablement resource center a list of everyone who we have deals with because bang, write that idea down, JC. Run with that idea. You talk about ways of separating yourself, creating separation from the pack, being one of the top producers, not only in your company but maybe you know in the greater community of sellers that are out there, these are certain things that people do that leave everybody else in the dust. That's gold. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to dive into that. That's a, that's a really good call out. I didn't honestly, do I just hope I you can find of... Scott's email response in your 12,000 emails <laughs> in your inbox. Well, there's ways around that. Now that I know he has 12,000 <laughs> emails, I'm not going to email this dude. Which is the point? You know what's crazy to think about too is like, I'm not even in a position of importance. Like, imagine once I am in a leadership role and people are prospecting me, I'm gonna have like hundreds of thousands of emails. This thing's gonna get out of hand. Dude, so you are in a leadership role. <laughs> UD, everybody over there will fucking listen to you. Like, I, you've got to give yourself a little bit more credit, Jason. Well, I just mean like nobody's trying to sell me a software. Well, he's, not a, he's, not a, he's, he's not a. He's not a. He's saying he's not a decision maker with a company credit yeah. card trying to make a purchase. Yeah. I'm not a but, target. You, know, you talk about you talk about upskilling. A lot of people wait till it's too late to try to get more organized or solve for this kind of issue. 
probably a good idea to work on it now, potentially, you know? Yeah, you, you guys have interviewed a ton of very high caliber, high performing people. Would you say the consensus is that most of them are, are inbox zero people? I wouldn't say that the consensus is inbox zero. I would say the consensus is some of the most successful people out there respond to messages the fastest. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they're inbox zero, but they get back to you quick across almost any channel. Could be Twitter DMs, could be text message, could be email, whatever. Right. You guys are making me better. I like this. I got some action items coming out of this. That's cool. So um, what do you want to talk about? Like normally we sort of wait till the end, but you're one of these guys who's like on this, you know, open mindset, you know, you, you love to, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to ask us? Yeah, I'm curious. So one of the biggest like shifts I had career-wise and life-wise last year was when I first got promoted to AE, I had like crippling imposter syndrome. Didn't think I could do it. Was questioning everything. And I lost touch with all the things that bring me happiness outside of work. Like I stopped working out because I wanted to work more. I stopped sleeping well because I was stressed about work. And then when I finally had this clicking moment of like, oh man, I need to maintain that stuff outside of work. And that will actually help me at work. It was like night and day difference just in terms of my performance everywhere went up. How do you two find that balance? Like how do you stay disciplined in terms of doing the things outside of your career that allow you to, to continue to produce in both areas have kids no. <laughs> well that's a little bit in the distance for me so maybe something I more more applicable now <laughs> yeah yeah um so there's a couple of questions so one is the imposter syndrome question one is how do i build my life into my work um which is i think the wrong mindset which is how do i build work into my life Mm-hmm. change the view a little bit and for me um i do a lot of time blocking like every day on my calendar from 12 to 1 is blocked for lunch i can assure you i don't take a one hour lunch and some days i don't take lunch but it's time there for me to get caught up on things it's time for me to go even if i take a 15 minute lunch to just chill and see what's happening in the news or whatever it is i want to do um you know, that's one thing I do have on Wednesdays from 2.30 to 5, every Wednesday and Friday, uh, blocked off on my calendar to go play golf. I can assure you I played golf about six times during that time last year, but it <laughs> built in, it did build in time for me to go do things. So if I do need to go pick up my kids, I can. If I do need to go do something, um, I can. If I need to catch up on things. And then I can let people ask me for meetings at that time if I want to let them. So for me, it was like, how do I build work into my life and so if we live on our calendars i need to put my life on my calendar Mm. for me um that was that's that piece the imposter syndrome a a different topic what can i which i can address but i'll let scott jump in and answer so far i have a more (laughs) just raw kind of answer like what do you feel like you're missing this is what i say to myself it's like what is everybody else doing that I'm not doing? And the answer is fucking nothing. You know what everybody else does when they're done with work? Maybe they get a little bit of exercise. Maybe they take their kids to practice if they have kids. They cook dinner and they fucking read a book or they watch TV or they work. It's the same shit. Everybody's (laughs) doing the same thing, dude. There's like a, a handful of options. That's it, right? So I don't feel like I'm 
missing out. I never felt that way when I was coming up. I felt like I'm 27 years old. Like this is the season of my life where I need to sell and get good at this shit and make it so, you know, I'm not going to have a $30,000 base salary when I'm 45 years old. So I poured myself into it and I kept pouring myself into it every step of the way. And then your life evolves and changes a little bit. You get a family, potentially. You still, you're not doing anything unique. We're not that cool or special. (laughs) That's it. Everybody's doing the same shit. Everybody thinks they're missing out on something like, oh, you're working too much. You're missing out. Like you ever have a significant other like, you work too much. You're not spending enough time with me. What are you talking about? What do you want to do? Sit on the couch and watch fucking Netflix? How is that like any different than what we're doing right now? Except I have my laptop open and I'm like prospecting people because, you know, rather than having a 600 square foot apartment, I'd love to have a 6,000 square foot house where I can sit on the couch and watch Netflix with you. What's the fucking <laughs> difference? I don't get it. Scott, Scott, it's, it's all about just being present with me, honey. I just need to. <laughs> Dude, I'm fired up right now. I don't know, man. I love that. I think you just convinced JC to put off any marriage for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's <laughs> not my that's, <laughs> No, but the, the, the thing I think that injures people is they get stressed out about like, oh, I have to have a work-life balance. I have to leave time to do all these other things. There's all these other people who have it figured out and they're doing all these other things. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're doing the same shit as you. There. I would I would say the other thing too. And, I think this is what Scott's alluding to as well. Scott's very good at saying no to a lot of things. He's Mm -hmm. very good at figuring out what's urgent, what's important, what's important and urgent. And if it's not important and urgent, he's really good at delegating it, saying no, and and creating the space he needs to go do things that I do do know you like to go do. You can go golf and do that kind of stuff, right? Um, And you... For whatever reason, Scott doesn't fucking feel guilty about it. Mm. Doesn't feel guilty. Like he's sitting here, people looking, he's like, oh, that's a really good point. I don't. And True. I feel guilty. I don't know, JC, if you feel guilty when you. No, I have a hard time saying no. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And, and so. So that, you two guys are similar then. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, but Scott knows this about, you know, and. That being said, it's some of the things that I learned from Scott a lot, which are like, oh, I need to, you know, do this. Or, or Scott will be like, why the fuck are you doing that? <laughs> He'll just call me straight up. I'm like, why are you doing that? Which I need to hear. And so for me, he's that person who can help me in work, life, relationships, money, all kinds of stuff. So hopefully that's an answer too, is find that person who can call you out on your shit. You know, that's not your significant other, by the way. Not that they shouldn't, but it just gets harder when they're a significant other. Makes sense. Makes sense. Although I heard on one of your podcasts that like you two have one of the longest relationships in Scott's life. So maybe you're in one way or another kind of significant others. I don't know. (laughs) There's there's a lot of guilt in there too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. The longest professional relationship, JC. Make sure you heard the story right. Professional relationship. (laughs) I never worked someplace more than three years in one month. I just like the fact that Scott just reduced my relationship from a close <laughs> friendship and best friend to just a professional relationship. Like, no, I, <laughs> no, I was, talking, I I was referencing my quote from the last show. I was referencing yeah, my quote from the last show. 
<laughs> JC, what else you want to ask us, man? Like this is this is we love it when people come and ask us questions. So what else? This is like yeah, a, a crow's nest episode. It's like we're in Costa Rica right now. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, okay, something else I'm I'm curious about is I I want to be in leadership one day, 100 percent Like what fills me up more than anything is like helping others or enabling others to succeed, not necessarily my success. I've heard so much conflicting information as far as like you need to go sell up market and get experience closing huge deals before you should transition to leadership. And then I've other, also heard other people be like, doesn't fucking matter. If you're a good leader, your credibility comes from being a good leader, not from having a history of closing deals. I'm curious if you two fall on one end of the spectrum or another, or just have any, any thoughts on that kind of thing. I definitely, I definitely fall on one end of the spectrum. Or the other. I never did that. I got the opposite advice from somebody because I can remember being a, a rep earlier in my career and, and, somebody suggesting to me like, okay, now you've done this like SMB thing. You need to go mid-market, then you need to do enterprise. And that to me sounded horrible. I'm like, why do I want to do all these other things that I don't want to do? I know what I want to do. And I had somebody else tell me that advice is terrible. Get good at the one thing and stick to the one thing rather than trying to be everything to everyone. I got the same sort of advice, JC, after being a VP of sales a couple of times. People would be like, oh, now you need to be a VP of sales at an enterprise company. Now you need to be a CRO at a publicly traded company. What? No, I don't. I know exactly what I want to do. I like to go to early stage startups, build them from scratch, build it to a certain point, and then get the hell out of there before it turns to something that I don't want to be a part of. So yeah, I don't think you need to to do that at all. What do you, what do you have to, to prove? What if you decided that you wanted to, you're selling mid-market right now. Okay. Can you be a mid-market SDR leader? Probably. Can you be a mid-market AE leader? Probably. You do that a few times. Could you be a mid-market VP? Yeah, of course you can. Do you have to be a, a enterprise VP one day? No. Who says you have to do that? Yeah. I've lived this. I don't know what you think, yeah. Richard. So, so yes and no for me, because I've also heard Scott say the other thing, which is it is annoying to see people in leadership who've never done it before. Yeah, You got to say that louder, Richard. So, so it's annoying to see people in leadership who've never <laughs> done it before. So that being said, I think the challenge is um, it depends on what kind of leader you want to be. Look, you're a million dollar closer. Guess what? If you want to go start in leadership, there's no reason you can't start as a mid-market leader, right? There's no reason you couldn't, you know, if the company was the right company to go be an SDR leader since you sourced your own deals. And if your own company can't see that, it's kind of like, are you fucking kidding me? Don't you want me to teach? Every lead, every sales leader, every CEO, every founder says, I want to clone my best rep. Okay, well, guess who's going to make them the clones? Those that did it and who know how to teach and lead, not just those who did it. Because that's the other big mistake is that the best reps get promoted, but they don't yeah. want to actually manage. So there's that's a piece of it. I think there's a little bit of credibility to it. However, I don't think it takes as long as what Scott, like what Scott was saying. I don't think we need to buy into the, you got to do it for a year, two years, four years before you do it. Look, if you're selling jet engines for GE, okay, maybe I'm wrong. I got it. You know, like that's, that's a very complex, long sales cycle, right? 
you're not going to go from an SDR to, to leader of sales team. That being said, that's not the pond you're swimming in. Right? And right. I can assure you, even though all these people are getting laid off, my bet is people are looking for better leaders already and they are starting to rehire a little bit. So you got way more clout, I think, than you think you do. Kind of like what we said, you know, there's a JC Pollard brand now um, that isn't just that you closed a million dollars. It's that you know how to do something and you have a willingness to teach others if they want to learn. That to me is the essence of any leadership role, right? You can go learn, how do I negotiate with procurement? Okay. I love telling people, you know, when someone says, well, Richard, you know, you haven't sold into our industry or you haven't done this. I'm like, great. Give me one scenario you think I couldn't handle right now. Give it to me. And I nail it every time. And you would too, JC. I promise you, you would. Except for the GE jet engines. I couldn't nail that. <laughs> anyway. You, see, you, get, you, don't, you don't think I could sell a jet engine? I do. Look at the abundance of life in action. Stop. <laughs> you just called me a bullshit artist. I don't know, JC. Maybe you can. Maybe maybe it's my own. Hey, my dad was a and my, my dad was a pilot, and my mom was a flight attendant. See, so, see, I mean. Richard did terrible discovery. <laughs> he did terrible just, discovery. JC could sell a jet engine. So uh, I think I could sell a jet engine. I don't know anything about planes. Yeah. So uh, touche to both of you. Uh, I just have <laughs> I just have no guilt about trying, and I just don't care if I fail in doing yep. it. Sounds kind of fun. Sounds like a big challenge, actually. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So if anybody out there is hiring jet plane <laughs> salespeople, JC and I are willing to interview. Yeah. Richard is, is, is tapped out. I got a, I got a question for you, JC. You get yeah. you got one channel to use to prospect in 2023 and one channel only. Which one are you using? I'm cold calling you until your phone breaks. That is it. Like this guy's all of my time. This guy's a throwback. Did you hear what he just said? He's yeah. actually willing to call. <laughs> Give me your best cold call script. Hello. Okay, so well, before I do that, I want to preface it. Like, I think you have to find your own voice on cold calls. And if you try to replicate someone else's script and you don't have the same personality, like it's going to fall flat. I'm like pretty goofy. I like to lean into my humor. So I'm like, hey, Scott, this is JC calling with gong.io. I know you're so freaking excited to get a cold call from me, but can I briefly explain why I'm ruining your day? Like I lean into the goofiness and the humor of it. And I try to get permission in that first sentence where I have like an ask. I'm like, I love what you said before I, as I'm ruining your day. Yeah. That's the part that got me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that wouldn't work for a lot of people. I'm like, I have a few colleagues who are so serious and to the point. And if I tried to do that, like I I couldn't do that. So you got to find your voice, but like pillar wise in my cold calls, I want to get an upfront contract squeezed in there early in the call. Like, can I briefly explain why I'm interrupting your day? I want to do that early in the call. So let's say, let's say I say, let's say I say, sure, go ahead, man. What do you got? Got it. Then I'm I'm launching into some research. I call it a three by three, like three pieces of relevant information on why I'm reaching out to you. Like, do it. You You know me a little bit. You got, come on. And if you don't know me, guess what? There's (laughs) clues all around me. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, reason I'm calling, I know you've been a VP of sales multiple times. Let's say it's like company research. Also notice you're actively hiring for AEs. Third, I shot you a pretty wacky email about how much you love surfing. Based on that, I wanted to see if you ever heard about Gong or what we did before. So then it's, a good, it's another question. So throughout my cold calls, I'm trying to interlace questions and make it feel like they're in control of the conversation, even though in the background, I've got like a puppet string. Just, yep. just direct. Okay, so now I'm like, yeah, I've heard, I've heard about Gong, of course. 
So if, if that's the case, I'm like, hey, help me understand how familiar are you, right? Like Pretty familiar. I, 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 I know lots of people who work there. I see all y'all's content. I know what y'all do. Pretty familiar. Curious, you know, someone who's so familiar in the leadership role, active, actively hiring AEs, what's stopping you from like checking out Gong, right? If you're familiar, it goes that route. Most of the time people are not familiar. And then it's another ask. It's like, hey, I know you're busy. I want to let you get back to your day. Give me like 30 seconds to explain what we do. If it's relevant, we can keep talking. If not, I'll hang up with myself. Is that fair? Once again, giving them. Okay. Now, one, one thing that I want to know is I want to know your elevator pitch. So when you say, you know, give me 30 seconds to explain what we do. One of the things that I think people need to improve is taking whatever they're doing, whatever their product is, whatever their pitch is, and distilling it into a soundbite that my son could understand. So I want to yeah. hear, I want to hear what your elevator pitch is, what you've done. In, with that. in fairness, well, I think your, your son, Braden's pretty smart and probably smarter than a lot of VPs of sales. So <laughs> <laughs> I've sold to a lot of VPs of sales. No comment. Um, I can't necessarily answer that because another thing I think people do wrong is they have one elevator pitch. Ah, interesting. But, I'm calling on six, seven different personas. If my elevator pitch is the same for each of them, I'm missing the mark. Great point. So give me the elevator pitch for a VP of sales then. But that also changes, right? I, I need to know something about your <laughs> Give company. me an elevator pitch know. for a first-time VP of sales. Got it. Highest level, what Gong does, we provide visibility into what's happening in your go-to-market motion. One of the biggest challenges people like you face is you have no idea what's actually happening on the calls that's making a difference between a close one and a close loss deal. That second part's the part that matters. Because it's, it's like, what, ch what challenge are they facing? Yeah. It's all about painting that picture of pain. It's all about, you have no idea what's happening in that conversation. You know, how much do you hate working on Sunday nights, filling out some stupid fucking report that someone's going to look at for 30 seconds on Monday morning? Right. Right. Like, if I'm talking to an operations leader, I'm like, you know, everyone I talk to says that their reps are terrible at entering information in the CRM and you're left to make decisions based on a tiny portion of the data that you need. And then a quick thing on how Gong solves for this. And I'm asking, what about that resonates? Not does that resonate? Not yes or no, but what about that resonates? So it's once again, open-ended, not leaving the door open to say no. Yep. But I try to keep it brief and concise, man. And so, I think a lot of people yeah. launch into like a two minute. Yeah, they do. I, I got a question for you, JC, coming back. So you talked about how do I get into leadership? This is what people were telling me. You clearly have the chops. You already are doing it right now, right? Every SDR, every AE, every VP of sales needs to go back and rewind the last 10 minutes of this conversation to hear what JC is recommending. What's preventing you from applying to a leadership role? Candidly, like I want to get better. I still have a lot to learn. About um, what? And I'm, first of all, like, I had a great year. Fucking awesome. Who gives a shit? A lot of people had a, a great year. I need to do it again. A lot of people give a shit, dude. Counterpoint. <laughs> Counterpoint. If you're a professional athlete and you have a great year, you immediately you hit free agency <laughs> yeah, and get, get paid. Bag. You don't say, hmm, let me see if I can have a second great year before I go try to do. Yeah. I'm no, it's a saying. Call. I'm just saying. What, JC, what is your, this is your imposter syndrome. What makes you think you're not ready to go to leadership? I'm still just learning so much. Like if I felt like I was stagnant in my role, I'd probably be ready to make a switch, but I, I learn every day. I still fuck up deals what, every day. What makes um, you think you wouldn't learn if you went into a leadership role? God, 
there's a reason you guys are good at selling. You're like convincing me on the spot. Well, well let, just, me ask, uh, let me ask you a different question if you don't want to answer that one. How long do you think that I was an individual contributor before I went into leadership? Three years. Wrong. Lower. I'll give, you one, I'll give you two more tries. Less than a year. Well, you got it on. I heard you sneak two years in there, and the third one was <laughs> yeah. less than a year. The third one would be right. Less than a year. I was an individual contributor, full cycle AE for seven, eight months, I think. Yep. That's About it. the same for me. And it was a different in, in my first leadership role. My first leadership role, like people know, like I worked fucking Gap, right? And then I got promoted <laughs> to the store manager because that's what I wanted to do. I got out of college and I didn't want to fucking wear a coat and tie. I wanted to wear jeans and t-shirts. So great place, made a living, could do it. You know, still 20, whatever, and be stupid. And yeah. Now, I'm not uh, saying that everybody on, should or can do that. Right. I'm just offering that as a different perspective and data point totally. for you who who might think like, well, I have to do this, that, and the other before I'm ready. So here's another thing I would say too. Sometimes the people who say, oh, you need to do this for two or three years are acting selfishly because they don't want to lose you. <laughs> yeah. I can, I'm not kidding you. I can assure you that if you talk to your sales manager, your VP of sales, Part of their answer is, fuck, he's a million-dollar closer. How am I going to replace that? And I think that happens a lot. And I know... I know it happens a lot. I know. And I can speak, again, from experience working with Scott. It used to frustrate the fuck out of him. But he, for whatever reason, Scott... And we all say, look, I don't want to get in the way of our, you know, my reps' performance and their growth and blah, 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 which is true. But Scott's one of the few people I ever saw execute fuck, I hate it, I hate it. And then he'd still find a way to backfill that person because that's Scott's job. Scott's job is to find the next million dollar closer. Your leader's job, your VP of sales is like, it's not your JC's responsibility to help fill that piece if JC is ready to go into management. So yeah. this does sound like a crow's lesson episode. The next thing we would tell you to do and, and Again, we say it with sarcasm here because we really do like Gong and love Gong. Is just fucking quit, dude. Somebody will hire. <laughs> this is what happens in about eighty percent of the conversations we have at service. <laughs> just go private one on ones. Yeah, why are you still there? What the fuck are you doing? Just fucking quit. go find a new job. Well, JC, this has been a lot of fun, man. We appreciate you spending some time with us on the uh, Surfing Sales podcast today. We appreciate HubSpot uh, for their support and getting us into the HubSpot podcast network. Normally, right now, we're like, hey, how can we be helpful to you? We've already answered a few of your questions. Is there anything else that you have for us? Any burning questions or any ways that we think that you think that we might be able to help you? Just have me back sometime, man. That's why I only asked. This has been a blast. I wish this was like three hours long. I feel like I could chop it up with you guys all day. Well, so. it could be three hours. It could also be five days if you spent some of your new <laughs> riches and newfound wealth from your commission check and came on out to surf and sales in, in May. You know, there's a lot of people from Gong who have made their way to surf and sales. I know, I need to get out there. I need to Just get saying. out there. One day, one day. I would, I, would, I would even go so far as to say, uh, yeah, if you want me to stay here for the next year, you need to send me to surf and sales. 
By the way, <laughs> here's the podcast that I just did with them. How much fucking revenue do you think we're going to do? Oh, by the way, did you hear the part where Scott said he drove a million dollars to our business? What the fuck? Send me to Surf and Sales. By the way, you should sponsor him too. There you go. Hey, I'm doing my best on that part. Turns out I'm, I'm a better seller than I am a champion. I've been shot down internally, but I promise I'll keep uh, I'll keep fighting the good fight right. internally. That's all right. That's I all right, JC. This, right now, this particular <laughs> this particular account is multi-threaded right now. Just so you're aware. Cool. <laughs> keep me in the loop. <laughs> all right, man. You have a good day, and uh, we'll see y'all again next time. Hey, JC, hang out for one second. Uh, Scott, I'll let you go, bud. But this is right. thanks, JC. Bye.